In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. Then there was light. And I want to talk tonight about the devil and demons and witches and wizards. You say, now, Billy, do you believe that they were really demons? The demon of alcoholism. Seven million chronic alcoholics in America. Made invalids by alcohol. How many muggings last night? How many rapings last night? How many murders last night? Violence, violence, violence. Sex obsession. I believe that a great deal of this is demon power. The demon of drugs. There's a relationship between sorcery and witchcraft and drugs. There is a real devil. There's a real devil in the world now. The Bible teaches it. I am Lucifer. And I have heard your request. That it shall be granted. I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid. Do you, my Jesus, truly wish to render your soul unto me in exchange for the success you crave? But the demons will bother you and irritate you and harass you and work on you night and day. You say, now, Billy, do you believe that they were really demons? And they are going to be powerful personages that are going to cause violence and trouble throughout the world. A wild man, a naked man, Bleeding from head to toe, from wounds, self-inflicted. I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid. You say, now, Billy, do you believe that they were really demons? And they are going to be powerful personages that are going to cause violence and trouble throughout the world. Yes. I believe that they were real demons in Jesus' day, and I believe they're real demons right now. There is a real devil. There's a real devil in the world now. The Bible teaches it, and we can see evidences of his work everywhere. And all of us meet him every day, because we're in a conflict. Not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual forces, principalities and powers, and rulers of the dark places. There is a devil, and there are demons. I guess we'll do it that way. A lot of water under the bridge. Some of the old songs. In the Garden of Eden, a creature some kind traditionally represented as a snake but if you go back to the hebrew eh, probably not a snake um 
it's a deceiver or an adversary. He comes to Adam and Eve and he says, did God really say not to eat the fruit of that tree? And convinces them to eat it, right? But was there really a tree, John? We'll get to that. But something happens. And in fact, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, there is an implication in the wording that some sexual contact happens between Eve and this being. Flash forward, right? Dude, that makes so much sense. The whole rest of the Bible. In fact, if you think about it, what does God say to Eve? He says, you're, or sorry, to the snake. He says, your offspring will have enmity. And, you, and he, which Christians believe refers to Jesus, will crush the head of the snake. Is he talking about actual snakes? Is he talking about the devil? He's talking about the offspring of this creature. Now think about the whole rest of the Bible. What is super important in the whole rest of the Bible? Adoption. It's it's lineage. It's lineage. It's the seed. And it is. Now, why does God tell, for instance, them to kill the Canaanites, even babies? That seems crazy because they're of a different bloodline. There's Nephilim mentioned in the Bible. That is the reason that Noah has to escape in the ark, because not because people were evil that was happening, but because the daughters of Eve were having sex with the Nephilim says it in the Bible. There's no question about it. So the whole rest of the Bible splitting down and getting to uh, David and then Jesus establishing a lineage all the way back to the garden of Eden, separating these lines out has to do according to some people with these perverted bloodlines where people were having relations on earth with a supernatural or a not human okay. entity. Think about how many world religions and traditions include demigods and people mm-hmm. like Hercules. You think they oh, yeah. all came up with that out of nowhere. John, here's what I would say though. Hit me. My gut level reaction, and that'll give Henry some more time to think of an actual thoughtful response. Yeah. My... <laughs> unthoughtful response. I'm not saying I believe this, by the way. No, no, no. My unthoughtful response that I don't know if I believe either, but I'm hypothesizing is that rather than there being two distinct bloodlines, what if we are somehow both the offspring of Adam and Eve? I mean, Adam and what, like, what if we are part of that lineage And that part of the whole idea of adoption, which is a huge thing in the Bible, is basically saying, like, you've been perverted with evil. Dude, maybe. Oh, shit, dude. Of course. And then this all culminates in Jesus. Okay, so that's the idea of, like, original sin is that sin is literally woven into our DNA because we are the offspring of Satan, effectively. Is that the idea? Because that's a crazy, crazy idea. Holy shit. The tree of life is a common motif all around the world in almost every ancient religion. It's DNA. Dude, think Holy about the Tower of Babel. Shit. Think about the Tower of Babel or even in the garden, the tree of, the, of life. There's two trees in there. One of the trees has to do with eternal life. And in fact, what does Jesus say? Jesus says that in the future, it will be like in the days of Noah. Something with genetics was happening in the days of Noah. And Jesus is talking about the distant future, some Christians believe, talking about the end of the world, right? In, it'll be like the days of Noah. What's happening right now? CRISPR, 
etc. We're editing our genes. People are saying now we're going to live to be three, four, five hundred years, no problem yeah. because of genetic well, dude, altering. You know, one thing that I because think about it, dude. Our bodies age genetically. Like they don't. Our bodies replenish themselves. You know, like they do that. That there's no reason you can't technically continue to do that. Look up a water bear. They have they their DNA. Oh, dude, is, water uh, bears are crazy. I just was talking talking about that on Cosmos. Okay, so mm -hmm. John, one thought though, because I, I mean, wow, that's a big mind bomb right there. The fact that sin, because dude, I've been thinking about that. I've been reading Genesis because it's such an interesting book. Is this an yeah. established sort of uh, thought that you have? Uh, cultivated yourself? Did you read this somewhere? Okay, so when I was a kid, so I grew up in the church, et cetera, et cetera. So I just like, you know, I grew up in a, the book is inerrant and it is sure. God's word, right? So if you sure. read this stuff, like if you read that the, that the Nephilim in Genesis 6, 1 through 4 are the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of men, if you believe that the book is true, you look at that and you're like, whoa, 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 what? What are they talking mm -hmm. about? Did this actually happen? And do they have souls and like all that? You know what I mean? Those are big, big, big questions, you know? Yeah, the Nephilim are conveniently sort of uh, understood, you know, within kind of Protestantism and, and you know, more conservative crowds to be this, this like, yeah, isn't that interesting? Like, we don't really know about them. And it's it's almost like one of the most mysterious and astonishing parts of the old testament to me because i i would read it as a kid myself and even looking now it's kind of like well truly what are they and why don't we have more to say about them so i'm i'm interested in this i mean maybe there are, you are great, great great grandparents that's what i'm saying well listen you know, i have why couldn't they be i my own so i have two two thoughts about this one is even saying this, I feel slightly embarrassed to admit that I'm interested in this. But I, I think, for instance, dude, the Bible refers to them as people of renown, right? And w there are things on earth that we have a really hard time explaining. Mm. Or at least the explanations that were given feel sort of like... You mean things that were built? Yep, 100%. Yep. All over the world that totally. are extremely mysterious and it seems possible that there was stuff going on or going on on earth a long, long, long time ago. You know, and dude, in the Bible too, they talk about how people would live like 900 years. And again, right. You don't have, that's not that big of a stretch because if your body just doesn't age, then you probably look like a 34 year old for your entire life or for is 900 it years, right? Is it, is it possible say that before, the flood, which, you know, it, I, I don't think that there was an actual Garden of Eden, for instance. I don't think that I think there were the trees earth. out there. I think it was the earth. No. I think these things are metaphors, right? And even the word Adam, Adamu, in the in the Hebrew is, is not referring to one single person. You know, it's a metaphor. I think it's fascinating. I think it's something that we just don't really think about. And I think that a lot of people ter have turned the Bible into this sort of morality story. And if you right. actually look, it's if not. you look at some of the weird stuff, dude, think about the story of, um, I forget the guy's name in the Bible. It's a haunting story. It's a weird story where a guy, the son is Onan, and it's where the idea of Onanism, which is masturbation, comes from, and why Catholics think that any kind of protection is sinful mm. because of this verse in the Old Testament where a guy is supposed to impregnate this woman to fulfill this bloodline idea and he doesn't he he 
reliefs himself on the floor is the way it said. And then that's the sin of onanism. And that's why Catholics think that you have to, that sex is for procreation. Hold on a second. But the guy's father, then the guy's father, who was a righteous man in the Old Testament, sees this woman on the road, thinks she's a harlot, asks her to have sex with him for money and finds out that it's this girl that he was trying to have, get his son to have sex with. He has a kid with her and it's some great thing. Whereas Onan was struck dead for not, fertilizing this woman so this guy dude okay so why does it seem like in that one instance people have wrestled with this why does it seem like god his the whole morality is switched on its head that's because the bible isn't necessarily about morality it's the story of the struggle dude even jesus says we don't fight against flesh and blood we we struggle against the principalities of darkness right like there are deeper forces at work possibly here i think about a place like the catholic church dude like how could something so crazy and so corrupt exist on this earth? You well, know, dude, is you know, that the principality I of darkness what, that we're I, fighting against? What is it? I mean, dude, this is so interesting because I think, all right, dude, I've been thinking about this a lot. I, 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 heard, I read a really interesting thing that basically said there are no heroes in the Bible but Jesus. Like, this mm. is not this story of all these great faith heroes. That is not the point. All of them are super effed up, except Jesus. That's what makes him separate. And I think that's super interesting because, dude, if you think about what if, let's trace it all the way back, if Adam was maybe a person, not in the sense that he was the first person and that he was created, but the Adam that is talked about is the first person and Eve who made that particular life-altering, earth-shattering mistake which was becoming like involving themselves like whatever that was however sin quote-unquote came into the world they tried to become god and so they tried to change that and that was the first thing they were the first ones that did that whoever whenever however whatever doesn't matter but that and then the bible is the story of that basically like perverted dna it is wreaking havoc on the world are either of you guys of course. familiar with uh, John Salehammer? He wrote a book called The Pentateuch as Narrative. The what narrative? You heard of this? Book? Oh, I've heard of that book, but I've never the, seen The yeah. Pentateuch as Narrative. Because it seems like uh, a, a lot of what you guys are talking about, the question that comes to my mind is sort of, you know, how do you understand the Old Testament sort of from uh, a textual point of view? Do you see it as sort of one uh, one sort of large text, you know, uh, the Pentateuch, do you, how do you, how do you sort of go about interpreting it? Because, um, you know, Sailhammer is, is a pretty important voice, I think, in the conversation that goes against a lot of what, uh, evangelicals and, and Protestants do, uh, and kind of, uh, looking at, uh, verses and taking them out of context. He sees the Pentateuch as one piece of poetry that right. uh, if you look into sort of the Hebrew and all of these things, there's there's all kinds of meaning uh, that I kind of hear you getting at, John, when you're making these connections and things. Instead of looking at it as a, a, a primarily historical text, we have to understand that it's poetry um, right. and that this poetry can really unlock a lot. Um, so I don't have anything super substantial to add to Without- this, but I'm, I'm curious about that. Well, without getting too too mystical, John I mean, Salehammer. Yes. Think about the fact that one, for instance, in Judaism, the lineage passes on through the woman, 
right? Right. It does not pass on. It right. doesn't pass on. Kelly just man. found out that she's Jewish because her grandmother was Jewish. Right. And think about the fact that Jesus supposedly, or at least it's very important to establish the fact that he was not born of any man. Right. Right. So we have but isn't concocted he called this son of theory. man? And he maybe is, but that's, that's a sort referral of a... to a different. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Well, even with the these genealogies that exist in the Old Testament, it's like they a lot of people read these genealogies and think like, oh yeah, this is just like cool no, it's a it's record. Purposeful. It's it's purposeful in what it includes and doesn't include. Oh, because and... it's like, oh yeah, let's skip seven generations and then let's include this one person who is literally a prostitute. And let's be really sure. specific about the fact that she's yeah. Jesus's great grandmother. And what exactly is the importance? You know, people have said like, oh, it's God establishing this promise through history. You know, we start sort of like with Abraham, right? Like, you know, look into the stars. I'm going to give you that many kids. And that's where we start. And we leave out all of the stuff up to that point, including the fact that some, that Noah, the whole thing about Noah was preserving specifically his family. Right. And even after that, dude, there is a weird encounter where one of his sons sees him naked and walks right. backwards. To His other sons walk backwards and cover him. And that son, his son is cursed because of some totally unknown thing that has to mm -hmm. do possibly with i mean definitely with it seems like it has something to do with his junk and it seems like it might have something to do with his seed which is an extremely important concept throughout the bible throughout the old right. testament the seed the passing down but then you get to jesus that whole thing is overturned let's not kid ourselves like women are not sinless the concept that original sin passes through a man is where does that come from? That's not it's not real. But, Women are sinful too, right? Women but, have genetics too. So if you too. if you guys to kind of um, centralize or to 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 kind of find some succinctness here for me, that's the person that's just jumped in. You know, can you put in a sentence or two? Sort of, I, I'm enjoying all of this, but I'm I'm trying to track like what what is the connection that you're trying to make with the Nephilim and talking about the Old Testament here? What would you say is like the main idea? that you're mm. you're putting forth well first of all i'm not i i don't want to deceive anybody i'm not espousing this i don't even necessarily think this is the case sure but i think i th i think that in not just the the hebrew bible dude in older texts like the sumerian texts which are the oldest texts on earth there is an idea even in sumerian texts that something with genetics is happening back then okay. Okay. It's heavily, it's heavily, heavily implied. And it would make and I think sense that the, Bible, the effect perhaps implied. was diluted significantly over the course Can of many, 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 many generations. Like in like a sentence or two about something was happening with genetics. It's like, He's this is about, what you're talking about with the, the serpent and all of the things yeah. that when I first jumped in. I mean, you're effectively yeah, okay, talking so, about elevated beings, whether they're demons or angels or whatever, some sort of like other being that mixed with humans. Is that what you're saying, John? Okay, well, I'll just I'll just read Genesis 6, six 1 through 4. You ready? Thank when you. When people began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that they were fair. The sons of God is capitalized. This is where you get the idea of the Nephilim. And they took wives for themselves of those that they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh. Their days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them. These were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. 
and they built Stonehenge. <laughs> then oh, wow. later, I mean, th- later these people are associated with Canaanites. And if you know anything, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to general people, but if you know anything about the Bible and Canaanites, th- it's virtually total warfare between the two of them. Those are the right. people that God said, wipe these people off of the face of the fucking earth. And in fact, this has been a moral Oh, and they were always scared of them too. Oh yeah. I mean, Goliath, you think about all these guys, I don't know if Goliath is a Canaanite, but it's a Philistine, no, but it's a the similar, right. similar lineage though. It is not this other lineage where Israel comes from, a separated people, right? They're not separated because of their moral structure. That was part of it. But this argument or this idea postulates that they were separate because of their genetics. And it goes later to, you know, into the flood and all this stuff. So, but yeah, I but, mean, it's okay. It's so clear. I'm also not saying I agree with this, but is what that is saying the idea that the bloodline needed to be preserved long enough to bring Jesus into the world via Mary? Is that the well, idea? I mean, because because I think what I, I'm just I'm just saying, like, because there's a bigger idea there, too, which is interesting to me, which is that, like, I think the concept of Jesus and God and the relationship of the larger infinite universe that probably includes a spiritual realm and the world that we happen to live on is very complicated. And, and I seem and I'm kind of leaning towards like. It's this one giant story and religion is a relatively small component of that because you think about the many, many generations that existed before the Torah, and it's like, oh, yeah, oh, so many, like so many, including major heroes of the Bible, like Abraham did not have the Ten Commandments. Joseph did not have the Ten Commandments. The people who lived in Israel, the Israelites who lived in Egypt for 400 years didn't have the Ten Commandments, let alone the Levitical law. So it's like, Religion is a very new concept. And then there's this weird, really sloppy division between Judaism and Christianity. And everybody's like, when do people stop being saved? And I'm like, maybe that was never the point, you dinguses. Maybe the church is an entirely human construction. And what God is actually talking about is this universal thing that is people like Abraham who actually are super effed up but ultimately are like, quote unquote, walking with God or like knowing God. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of universalist, but like, I'm wondering if that's sort of that idea, which it is also- nervous about the idea that maybe there's this one offset group of people. Because what I'm thinking is that like, maybe the point was that we're all descended from that and all of us deserve destruction because we're like flawed in that way. And we are we are a corruption of the intended order, and therefore that's what makes that sacrifice and salvation. It's also necessary. possible, though, that this story and other stories like it, you know, this would be a more secular v- viewpoint that they they were partly accurate that there were other races or other people with different genetics on earth and that's where it stops right like they they fought on earth as two groups would actually fight all the supernatural stuff is not present um there is no real to make sense of that yeah it's just you know two different races i mean put it in a weirder way or maybe even a more easy easy to understand way just say like you have the japanese who don't want to let western people in you know it could be that simple um, except in an ancient setting where the people who are there thousands and thousands of years ago were 
you know, a different type of hominid. But say. wasn't the whole point of Israel in the beginning to like make decide, like to like get out there and like do it better? I, I mean, like, I know there's some weird stuff about, but sometimes, like, back to the flawed Bible being flawed thing, like, sometimes I'm like, isn't it kind of possible that, like, some of the racist shit that got added to the Old Testament was some color from, like, the way people thought back then? And that may, you know what I mean? Like, why does that have to be such a freaking deep threat to people who want to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? I'm like, why are those two contrary? You know, in the same way that if you stopped somebody on the street right now and you said what do you think about buddha you're not going to get a lot of like he's the worst person ever like what an animal you know no everyone's going to say good ideas meditation is right. important and couldn't and that I think, be part of christianity too like why does that have to be well it should be right. and then, then then you have the perversion you know just on its face as a force out there in the world it should be thought of like buddhism is you know it's a benign at, at, at worst it's a benign force that helps you improve your own life. And at best, it's the path to enlightenment. Um, and it should be that way for Christianity. But you have, unfortunately, the fruit of the tree is poisoned, I think. I mean, you look at the Catholic Church, it's an absolute disgrace. You have right. the American Church, which is greedy, self-righteous, moralizing, disgusting, for the most part. Racist. It's, I don't it's know, evil, though. man. I mean, those seem like pretty sweeping statements for two people who are talking about such intricate and, you know, nuanced exegesis. Uh, you know, the Catholic Church and the American Church are certainly corrupt, if not also, you know, full of wonderful people who oh, do yeah. good things. That I love my church, and I think a lot of people love their churches. I think the people in power eventually will abuse it most of the time. And I think that's what we're seeing. Henry, I appreciate that. And I, I think it's okay. I think it's fair to say that, but I also, it feels almost like you're comparing banks though, you know, like, well, there's a, there's corruption in banks and blah, blah. You're talking about supposedly bedrock truth here. You know, you're talking about a, right. the founder of Christianity who said, if you deceive a child in teaching, it would be better for you to have a millstone put around your neck and tossed into the ocean. That's better than what's going to happen to you later. You're talking about that, you know, his eyes on the spirit, all this stuff. You're talking about real truths. Sure, yeah. It shouldn't be that. an acceptable level of corruption. It should be way, way better. Well, you know, I think it's just a matter of what we consider to be collective reality, right? So, you know, look around everything that's in front of you, every, you know, phenomenon that happens, you know, in the world we define in a certain way and that becomes our collective reality. And we, you know, take sort of the, the detritus and like, you know, sort of junk on the floor of every academic discipline. And, you know, that, that becomes what reality is. And the same goes for the way that we understand church and, and Christianity. It's, we have very particular, uh, you know, constructions of what American Christianity is what Catholicism is and for good reason in some respects however I think that you could create uh, just as uh, compelling of a narrative of why these two institutions in particular these two traditions um, deserve admiration if we go back to say Iowa for example a state where a lot of people would roll their eyes and say why would anyone want to go to Iowa well, you know, Christians in Iowa were the leaders of the abolitionist movement. And, you know, if you start to look at the history of the church, and if you start to look in a more sort of specific 
uh, way, then I think there tend to be examples that are are not uh, synchronized with this this sort of um, uh, collective reality of of uh, Christianity. True. I, yeah, I def I definitely don't disagree. But again, I would just say that, um, for instance, if you you look at America, and I, I'm I'm obviously an American. I love America, um, but if if you look at the what is said or what America says about itself, and then what it actually does in the world, right? It's two. Those two things are at odds. So you can't. It's it's hard for people when Americans go around or politicians go around and say we're the peacekeepers of the world. And then what you actually see is sowing destruction and chaos and death, or, right? Or another way of looking at that, like I heard a pastor recently say, and I thought this was a good illustration, like the, you know, they'd say like, be the salt of the earth. And what do you do with salt sure. that's lost its flavor? You throw it out. And he was like, last time I checked, if you put a pound of salt on a pound of steak, you should probably be able to taste the salt a lot. And yet- most of the world says that they, you know, ascribe to this belief system that says give generously, take care of the orphans and widows, do all this stuff, and it's not happening. But I, I still, and it's like would what? disagree. I still think that you know it is a product of a very particular interpretation of history and of current events to sort of catastrophize things in this way. I think that Ooh. there are politicians and there are leaders in churches who are, you know, sort of very deep thinkers and, and very reasonable people. And I think it's really a product of this sort of, quote unquote, collective reality that, you know, really uh, pushes us to interpret everything through fear, right? Because fear is an energizing yeah, fear, because, you know, we have such a huge imagination as Americans and, and people in the West of fear. You know, we can imagine everything that's going to go wrong and everything that people do wrong and everything that will explode. But we don't have as large of an imagination for what is reasonable, I think, sometimes. And mm. I would say in this particular context, it's it's true as well that, you know, there are people in the last hundred years who have absolutely been inspired by Christ's teachings to care for the poor and to keep oh, totally. uh, organizations oh, running and politicians who, you know, you know, truly want to go out and represent the people, their constituents uh, for the best. So I, a doubt. I still push back a little bit on that. Yeah. I think that's well, as you should. And, of course, and just to be no, very no, real too, like I went to church today and the thing they talked about was like how, you know, like there are churches, including mine is what I'm trying to say, where half of the Sundays are devoted to some version of uh, like some conversation, whether that's like through some sort of sermon or like a, just a talk with like people who are knowledgeable about the subject, subjects like, um, you know, caring for like adoption and highlighting people mm -hmm. in our church who have adopted children from our community and being like, we're going to have them talk to you about their experience and you can ask them questions because we want more of you to do this. And we want you to show how this can work and how you can be supported in it. And I'm like, to Henry, to your point that happens, if it's happening at a church that I happen to go to, then clearly it's also yeah. happening at many, many other places. I think what's sad is that the prevailing, I think the same is probably true when Jesus showed up and was like, yo, 
Judaism is crap right now. And I'm sure that he was partly like when he was saying, I'm the fulfillment of the law and things like that. What part of what he was saying is, guys, quit worrying about this stupid religion that you made up. I'm telling you there's something else that was the point the whole time. And I think both of those can be true. Like, I think he clearly was very studied and probably had a lot of care. Jesus, whoever he was, whoever you want to think he was, probably loved Judaism in a lot of ways for the tradition, but also was like, there are limitations to this because you are using it as an abusive system, which is what's happening a lot in the church. John, what were you You saying? If you even look the famous story uh, of Zacchaeus, Mm -hmm. you know, he was a Pharisee and tax collector. What Jesus, or no, sorry, who was the Pharisee? Not Zacchaeus, but um. Oh, yeah. Come on, Henry, help me out I, here, buddy. I was a biblical studies major, but all of it oh, has gone. I was not. I just went to Christian high school and college. Um, but I mean, he was the the Pharisee that comes to him. So the the point is that Jesus spent most of his time, whenever he talked about Pharisees, it was not good. No. In fact, it, it just wasn't. Enough. But still, he there were guys individuals in that system who were good right and in fact the idea of being born again i believe the first time it's mentioned is when he tells that pharisee that he has to be born again he has to be born again because he's got evil dna so for for me i'm pretty i'm pretty (laughs) thick um i gotta you know i'm i'm slower to the uptake than you guys so so again walk me through just like as as well as you might be able to be uh, able to. So you're talking about the Nephilim. We're talking about sort of uh, the history of the cosmos. Uh, we're talking about um, genetics. We're talking about uh, sort of uh, reality outside of Christianity as a religion, things like this. But I'm just trying to kind of, um, you know, maybe for anyone that might be, you know, listening to this slash me, what's the the through line here? How did we get to this point? John, can I take a stab uh, at this? I believe, oh, go I believe we're talking about a movie. I believe we're talking about Zay's movie. That's the through line. The through line is <laughs> the through line is that I am some type of artist, as is John. Uh-huh. And mm. I think we are trying to find out why. I think the act of turning this much attention to a project mm. is in its own way becoming its own art form in the same way that I think in Lady Bird, the nuns, speaking mm. of the Catholic Church, an example of a, a lady who probably loves the Catholic Church and hates the Catholic Church because I imagine that that nun in Lady Bird was very conflicted about her role in the Catholic Church. But she was clearly a wonderful lady who told young uh, what's her face from Lady Bird? Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan, that you seem to really love Sacramento. And she's like, why? And she's like, because you write yeah, about it so much. And you, you know what I mean? She's like, maybe it's ten- my favorite line in the whole movie, which is, you know, uh, oh, I guess I just pay attention to Sacramento. And then the nun says, isn't that funny? You know, uh, perhaps love and attention are the same thing, which I think is right. one of one of the more poetic lines to come out of a film in the last, you know, while i think it's beautiful and so what i'm trying to say is i think in a way this whole podcast is less educational and even just to be very clear like this whole conversation about black holes and movies and fart jokes and um and the infinite monkey theory (laughs) is that 
the, to me, the connection is that we all have a very limited experience right? and that in some way that is the experience, not because I'm knowledgeable about those topics, but because I'm curious about them. Absolutely. That experience and the act of asking the questions, yeah. whether we ever come up with answers or not, is more important to me. The act of asking those questions yeah. and debating them with other people who also know nothing about them is extremely fun <laughs> because it forces us, John, this is where we were earlier, it forces us to go as close to the source as possible as opposed to getting caught up in dogma. Because I think ancient civilizations knew a lot of stuff because they didn't have digital technology. Yeah, they went straight yeah. to why come up with an atomic calendar when the sun can do it on its own. And we just have to come up with a system that harnesses that. And I think in a way, like that's what's interesting to me about debating these topics in such a mandering, stupid way. And also the whole point of making the movie was, I don't know how to make a movie. What if I share the entire experience of making the movie as opposed right. to telling you what it's like at the top of the mountain? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I follow all of that. And I, I think that all of that's wonderful. Um, I more so was just asking in the spirit of affirming all of that mm. and just trying to... Uh, oh my God! What are we getting at? Uh, Zay just hit a button that is labeled farts, to which uh, then a fart noise <laughs> came up. That was wonderful. I can't hear uh, any of that. Um, I was just, I was more so like fully with you guys, and just not quite as um, agile cognitively, perhaps, and just trying to track, you know, what part of the labyrinth we're in. Henry, what you're saying is, what the fuck are you guys talking about? No, I'm like so interested. You have no idea. I just am too thick to well, keep we, up. We did have 45 minutes of conversation leading up to it. So you should just listen to the other chunk. Oh, okay. And then maybe it'll make even less sense. <laughs> I'll hit you. I'll hit you and anybody that could is possibly still listening to this in the future. But the um, I've that. told this story. I've told this story 10,000 times. But okay. back in the day, you know, Robert Oppenheimer my my father-in-law gave me his biography right i read it he's a fascinating guy um he's the father of the atomic bomb and okay john and he was he was asked way after the trinity test which was the first test that we did in america of the nuclear bomb right out in the desert right he was asked uh a couple years later he was asked at the rochester institute of technology if the Trinity test was the first test of a nuclear weapon. Of course, everybody in the world knew at this time that it was. The Trinity test was the first time a nuclear weapon had ever been tested, as far as we knew. His answer was yes. Then he paused and he said, well, in modern times. Mm. Right? And everybody was like, what the fuck? Or at least some people were like, what the fuck? But it turns out Robert Oppenheimer was really into Hinduism, right? Okay. In fact, when they set off when when they set off the nuclear bomb, he he made that famous quote, which is "I am." Because I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. The reason that Oppenheimer actually thought nuclear weapons had been detonated on Earth many many millennia before was because there's a book called the Mahabharata sure. and it's a Hindu holy book. And in it, it describes basically a battle on earth in antiquity that involves something that sounds exactly like nuclear weapons, right? Mm, yeah. Shockingly. So people think he didn't really talk about this much, but people think that he 
believed that there was people living on Earth with much more sophisticated technology than we give them credit for. John, John, have you, have you ever, ever read, read Marilyn Robinson before? Marilyn Robinson. That sounds so familiar. Familiar. Oh, she wrote Gilead. Yeah, so she wrote Gilead, which won the Pulitzer Prize. She's Barack Obama's favorite author. She's extraordinary, and she's she identifies as sort of a Christian and a Calvinist even, and a humanist. And uh, she, her kind of essence uh, and her mission in life um, reminds me a lot of this conversation that you guys are having because she is very interested in uh, how. Americans and and you know many others don't actually have a right to engage in a lot of discussions because they've never engaged with primary texts and she talks about Darwin and she talks about Marx and she talks about all kinds of people and how no one she was astounded to find out has read these people mm. and so she you know she has spent no, no. 25 years reading these That's texts so that have influenced, you know, modern culture. And anytime she tries to to look at modern scholarship on them, she's like, it's clear that you've never actually read, you know, Wealth of Nations or you haven't read Fill in the Blank. And she, right. you know, has made it her life's mission to sort of uh, uncover how, uh, you know, complex and infinitely mysterious the world is once you really get around to thinking of it. And specifically, she goes into neuroscience and how neuroscience, you know, assumes a very specific understanding of the mind, which of which it could never really arrive at because uh, it's it's kind of dishonest, she thinks, and how the mind mm. is the most complex object in all of the cosmos. And we've reduced it to, you That's know, actually where we started, Henry. Is that right? So thanks for bringing it back around. Oh, well, she says, you know, that like, it is uh, yeah. this thing that is infinitely complex has been reduced to modern neuroscience, which says, well, you have synapses that fire and then this happens. And now we understand and we get that what's going on with depression and anxiety and, you know, how a thought exists. And she just kind of steps back and she's like, how have we gotten to this point in 2019 where scientists who look at, you know, a cell in your arm that's far less complex than anything going on in your mind, these scientists say, wow, there is so much that we don't understand. And yet neuroscientists, which look at the brain, uh, the mind, they're saying, right. well, we've got it. We understand. And she she just pushes back in general. This whole Bible conversation is fascinating because everybody in our sphere, not in my sphere, knows the Bible fairly well. They know a lot about it, but they have no clue about this, not even as a concept. And I'm not saying it's 100% true, but just the idea, if you told somebody that people on earth, according to the Bible, seemed like they were banging at, at a minimum giants, people would be surprised by that. Well, do you know that the pyramid themselves, the Great Pyramid of Giza, <clears throat> was supposedly covered in limestone, right? Reflective, shiny limestone, the capstones all over it. It is the biggest monument. It was the biggest monument in the world until very recently. But here's the here's the question. It is the oldest monument in the world still standing. It predates the Bible by a millennia at least. It's not mentioned in the Bible. Dude, it would have been this shiny, gigantic monstrosity in Egypt. The question is, John, like, how how do you think something like this would have figured into the biblical narrative? Like, I'm, I'm, I only assume that they're must be a lot of uh you know uh natural phenomenons and and human constructions that were um sort of stupendous to whatever degree and 
you know, I think you, you raise a good point. I just wonder if we should expect all of them to be accounted for. And if we should expect some of them. This is so, it's still monumental today. The, we still debate the construction but, of it. At that time, it would have been such a wonder, such John, an immense also, complexity. Dude, the Old Testament was written by a guy who grew up in Egypt. Is there some kind of implication that that exists because of it not being mentioned, do you think, Sean? No, I honestly have no clue. It's just interesting. Yeah, there's some thought that there actually is a reference to it. In I'm going to jump in because uh, we need to wrap this bad boy up. Really? Unfortunately. Yeah, we'll do it I again. Think we're, I think we're right on the brink to discovering the truth about well, uh, ancient civilization, we'll but I guess that we'll never know. <laughs> Henry, it was like it was. It was lovely to have you. Oh, thank you. This was um, totally uh, goodbye, everybody. Bye, John. This was a, this was a real pleasure to jump into a truly um, unique conversation that I've never really taken part in. So. Yes. Uh, yeah. Henry, it was lovely having you. Henry's gone now. We can really get into it now. Um, no, I was going to say, John, what a this was fighting guy. Yeah, we, we should totally, we should totally, uh, we should go away. Um, you know, Kelly just texted and said, can your biggest fan be a guest? I want to give a special shout out to our biggest fan. Who is it? Uh, well, you know, Shelby, I'm really sorry. Oh, I know well, Shelby. What's her name's Shelby Shel? Date. She's a great friend of mine. She's, she says she, she thinks, she thinks she's our biggest fan. Unfortunately, Teddy Bronson Ooh, has been a fan a longer. Fan? Um, but I don't know. I don't know who's a better fan. Shelby's up there though. Shelby, this is a shout out. Let she wanted on. to be on the show. Is I she think, here, right? um, is she and there I wish right I could have her, but I just realized she's here. She is here, mm. but I don't have a way for her to hear you oh. because my earbuds are dying. So I think what we should do is we should do an episode with her, John, because she's a visual artist. I know she's very interesting and her art is in the movie. And so I think we should do an episode where I where I ask her about the art, and I'll put up some stills of it because I'm sure she sells it, and it's freaking great. So we can talk to her about the art because it ended up playing really well. Shelby, personal plea: Can you make me a shirt, a shirt with the graphic that you design involving the pyramids? Mm. Ask her when you have dinner with her. Ask her. I want a shirt I, ooh. with some pyramid. Uh, oh, pyramid! And we're gonna make those shirts, John, and we're gonna sell them. I buy one. Tell her. Um. I'll buy it. I will definitely buy it. Okay, that's a good note. Okay, John, that's it for now. My bitch a choose it, lover. Never fuck without a rubber. Never in the seats like it on top of the cover. Money on the dresser. Drive a compressor. Top notch hoes get the most, not the lesser. Trash like the fuck for $40 in the club. Fucking up the game, bitch, it gets no love. She be cross country giving all that she got. A thousand a pop, I'm pulling billions off the lot. I smashed up the gray one, bought me a red. Every time we hit the parking lot, we turn head. Some hoes wanna choose, but them bitches too scary. Your bitch chose me, you ain't a pimp, you a fairy. Oh.